The Angie's List You Know and Trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Well, hey there, y'all. Welcome once again to Casa de Blood where every exposed surface is covered in three inches of pollen. This episode of Drew Blood's Dark Tales is brought to you by Afro Nasal Spray. Nah, this ain't a commercial. Unless you're interested, Afrin. I tell you what, have your people contact my people. And by my people, I mean Jeff Sturdivant. Fuck. It really is a sad state of affairs over here at Blood Studios, y'all. Yeah, I can relate, buddy. You look good in yellow, by the way. Well, come on inside. We've got about an hour before my nostril slams shut. Hmm. Yeah, nothing like an all-natural Marlboro to clear up your allergies. It's an Appalachian folk remedy, you know. That and nibbling on tree bark and shit. Tree bark. Well, that can't be healthy. <sighs> hmm. Well, smoke them if you've got them. Drink those glasses to the bottom. Because old Drew Blood has the cure to what ails you. But first, the rigmarole. Uh, this is season two, episode two of Drew Blood. Talk shit up. I'll do the talking to show your support and get ad-free versions of this and all the other episodes. Visit... I know this one, boss. I know this one. I said shut up. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com. Click Patrons in the upper menu. Sign up and get instant access from my associates. Chillin'. I wanna say it, boss. I wanna say it. Shut up. Shut up, shutting up. Chillin' tells for dark nights. So tonight, we've got something special for you. A scholarly type of story, addressing both the matters of crossbreeding 
and inbreeding. Now, I'm not saying you're going to come out of this with an advanced degree in genetics or anything, only that you'll have more fun than a passel of possums in a gunny sack. So, without further delay, from author Lynn Jenkins, I give you The Call of the Tennessee Hogcat. Get your ass out of that bed before you start sprouting roots, Skeeter yelled. He stood on Yancey's front porch, leaning through the bedroom window, backlit by the sun's first rays. God damn it, sleeping beauty. Nobody around here gonna give you a kiss. After a minute, Yancey stirred. Hallelujah, Skeeter hollered. It's alive! Sleeping beauty ripped a lingering fart that damn near blew the covers off the bed. Somebody got on the pork rinds last night, Skeeter said, waving a hand in front of his face. Onion rings from the <clears throat> burger pit, actually, Yancey said, releasing another gas grenade. <laughs> Skeeter sniffed the air. <laughs> With honey mustard dipping sauce? Yep. I think rigor mortis is about to set in. Get your ass up. When Yancey finally rolled his happy ass out the front door, Skeeter was already sitting on the rocking chair on the porch, shelling peanuts and feeding them to the old Appaloosa mare that was snubbed to the handrail with a length of baling wire. Skeeter almost never saddled or even bridled Lucy Bell unless they were going to town. You see, Skeeter had taught Lucy, among other things, to lead by pressing the knee into one side or the other, and that's where she went. Besides, they'd taken the shortcut from his place to Yancey's more times than the county commissioner had taken donations under the table. But that's a story for another time. There were two dusty freight liners parked in the big open driveway. Each had Motel 6 sleepers and were pulling aluminum box trailers that had been specifically built for shearing sheep. You see, Yancey was a sheep rancher, just like his father and grandfather. And as far as a family business went, he could have done a lot worse. What time did these yahoos roll in? Skeeter asked. Uh, around midnight. Skeeter checked his watch. Almost six. They should have had time to snort their breakfast by now, he said, making no effort to be funny. The fact is, when it's sheep shearing season, sleep equals lost profit. Yancey walked across the driveway to the bunkhouse to roust the ranch hands while Skeeter sauntered over to the semis. John and Willie Cohen climbed down out of the cab of the lead truck and shook hands with Skeeter. The two thin redheads seemed to have aged a good five years since last year's shearing. John, the eldest brother, was rapidly graying, and last year's character lines now resembled the cracks in the parched clay riverbed. Even though Willie was only in his mid-forties, he fared only slightly better than his brother. The freckles that had once evenly covered his features had become visibly darker with blotches of pink. The curse of the redhead, or the result of chain-smoking in an enclosed cab. But to each his own, Skeet figured. Good to see you. How've you been? What's new? All of the usual meet-and-greet BS. Then Yancey walked up and the process started all over again. James and Abe, Yancey's part-time ranch hands, stayed back and waited to join the conversation. And it wasn't long before John asked how they'd been. 
We're doing good, was Abe's genial answer while James just smiled. Yancey didn't know any other Peruvians, but James and Abe, a.k.a. Javier and Avron Olivas, never seemed to have much to say. But they were two of the hardest working men he had ever met. They never argued nor even complained, and either one of them could snap a coyote out of a herd of sheep from the next county over, provided the next county was less than 400 yards away, that is. Although they were roughly the same age as the Coens, their raven black hair probably wouldn't yield to a lighter hue or retreat by any measurable amount for many years to come, and the only wrinkles in their otherwise flawless olive complexions were the deep-set unabashed laugh lines. Yancey called them his part-time hands because half the time they were over at Skeet's place helping him run cows, and damned if they weren't just as good with cows as they were with sheep. Between Skeeter, James, and Abe on horseback, Yancey on his side-by-side, -side, and Willie's red heelers, the sheep were pinned up by noon. John and Willie had their trailers backed up to the corrals and the ramp set up. Hot dogs were smoking on the barbecuer, and the cold beer was sitting on ice in the cooler. Everyone gathered around the barbecuer and started serving themselves. Nobody noticed when the bigger of the two heelers snuck up behind Skeeter and nipped his leg just above the boot, then retreated to stand beside his owner. Skeeter went over to Abe's horse and took the lariat off his saddle. Walking back, he fed out a medium-sized loop and swung it over his head. He sent the loop out front, then spun it to the left, around behind, to the right, then sent the loop sailing to the end, up around the guilty party's neck. He yanked the loop tight, stepped on the rope, and walked it down till he had the dog's head pinned to the ground. Without protest, Willie stepped back, and Skeeter proceeded putting his boots to ribs. When he was satisfied the dog had learned his lesson, he knelt down and scratched the cur's ear before slipping the rope over its head. The dog licked its lips and with newfound humility backed away. Some lessons are harder to learn than others, but Skeeter was sure this dog would never bite anyone again. While Skeeter had the rope in his hand, he couldn't resist showing off a few gravity-defying tricks that kept the crew entertained and sent the dogs into a frenzy until it was time to get some real work done. Through the years, it had become sort of a tradition that while the sheep were being sheared, Skeeter and Yancey would head off on a hunting trip. They had hunted elk in Colorado, moose in Alaska, turkey in Indiana, and so on. Hell, they'd even taken a fishing trip in the high Uintals. This year was no fishing trip, though. Yancey had found a website that boasted the hunting trip of a lifetime, and when Skeeter said it looked good to him, Yancey made the reservations. James and Abe would take care of things at Yancey's. And even though Skeet's herd of cows were in a pasture with plenty of feed and a stream full of water, they'd keep an eye on this place too. Talk about a sweet setup. By late afternoon, Yancey had his gear packed away in the idling King Ranch F-250 with custom front and rear bumpers, 8,000-pound winch, 4-inch leveling kit, 40-inch mutters on blackout custom wheels, and one of those air horns that sounded like a train whistle. A pristine coal roller, save for the crumpled tailgate that was the result of backing into a fifth-wheel trailer without dropping the tailgate. But it was like Skeeter said, inspecting the aftermath. Now it's a farm truck. Yancey already had a damn farm truck. 
A few minutes later, the shimmering black behemoth rolled up alongside Skeeter's house, and Yancey shook the windows with the air horn. Skeeter came out of the door carrying two faded green duffel bags, a green camouflage rifle case, and a holstered pistol. Under the weight, his back bowed worse than usual, making it appear he was barreling out his chest. Pinning his elbows back as a means of balancing his misshapen posture gave him the air of a strutting peacock. Skeeter was roughly middle-aged, assuming he would live into his eighties, that is. A few lines were starting to show on his naturally tanned face, and a few rogue strands of gray at his temples, blended into his wavy brown quaff. This rounded out what the casual observer would see if they were looking at something interesting and Skeeter Bowling came up and stood right in front of them. The truth is, that posture that might have struck you as arrogance if you were the judgmental type is actually the result of being born with the dream of being PRCA champion bull rider. And credit where credit is due, by his senior year in high school he was well on his way to accomplishing his dream. He had the points, the references, and the license fee. All he needed was to turn 18 and fame and fortune would be his for the taking. Then one day, just before graduation, fate stepped in and took a shit right on Skeeter's best laid plans. You see, one warm and sunny Saturday afternoon, Skeeter and a couple of his buddies were bucking out on some practice bulls. Skeet climbed into the chute and eased down onto the back of the bull they called Skedaddle, on account of the fact that after the bull made his fourth right-hand circle, he invariably bucked straight ahead for the rest of the ride. Skeeter gave a nod. The gate swung open and as per usual, the massive Brahmin circled out of the chute and turned to the right. After the fourth circle, Skeeter shifted his weight anticipating Skedaddle's signature move. This is the part where fate took a crap. Instead of straightening out, the bull stumbled, then spun to its left in an effort to recover. Skeet's ass slid out, and the weight came off his shoulder. He sailed ass over riding helmet and hit the ground unnaturally face down. This wasn't anything he couldn't have walked or at least limped away from, but Skedaddle, normally one of the tamest bulls of the bunch, had one more surprise in store. Before Skeeter caught his first breath, Skedaddle circled around, still bucking high, and planted both back hooves right in the middle of Skeet's back. The other boys ran in and drew the bull away, but the damage was done. The would-be world champion bull rider wouldn't be walking away from this ride. He woke up in a hospital bed feeling like he had been trampled by a bull. Still trying to blink away the cobwebs, he overheard a doctor tell his parents, There's a chance Stephen might not walk again. When he heard his mom began to cry, Skeeter piped up, Hey doc, everyone calls me Skeeter. It came out more like a croak and it immediately set his lungs on fire, but his mom stopped crying, so it was totally worth it. The next morning, the doctor read off the list of Skeeter's injuries. Skeeter heard and felt every word. Three broken vertebrae, four broken ribs, left lung punctured, and a handful of technical BS that Skeeter thought the doctor probably didn't even understand. When he was finished reading the laundry list, Skeeter asked, so, how's the bull doing? Skeeter bet his dad 50 bucks he'd walk out of the hospital in three months, and he bet him another 50 he'd be riding in six months. In the end, it was a draw. True to his word, he walked out of the hospital on his own with two days to spare, but with fused vertebrae, permanent pins, 
and back brace. His bull riding days were a thing of the past. Now ain't you glad you're not the kind of person who judges people too soon? Now let's talk about Yancey. Yancey Tannehill wasn't your run-of-the-mill redneck country boy, even though he did his best to look the part. See, growing up on a sheep ranch outside of Lexicon, Kentucky was a pretty simple life. His dad worked hard and taught Yancey to do the same, but as the years passed, the money got tighter and tighter, until eventually his dad had to take a part-time job at Matt's Engine and Transmission just to make ends meet. Yancey had tried to make suggestions to his father about improvements and ways to eke out more profits, but his dad, God bless him, was set in his ways. This is how your granddad did things, he'd say, looking the place over. Now that your ma's gone, well, maybe I'll just sell this old place. Then the pause. Unless I could find someone to take it over. Yancey had a mountain of respect for his father but he had a stubborn streak of his own. So before taking the reins and with his dad's dubious blessing, he enrolled in a fairly prestigious college on a free ride wrestling scholarship. With unwavering determination, he earned himself a degree in zoology and was working toward a bachelor's degree in genetic studies when he got the word that his dad had passed away. So ready or not, the wrench was his. He used what he had learned at the brain press to crossbreed his herd to get stronger, healthier sheep with higher birth rates and greater wool yields. He also more than doubled the size of his herd and the usable pasture land. Tannehill Sheep Ranch wasn't just competitive again, it was the new standard. Since his days at college, Yancey had become hooked on classical literature, and even though he didn't like it, he even tasted quiche. He kept in shape by running and hitting the gym three days a week. Without realizing it, the longer he spent away at school, the less noticeable his Tennessee accent became, to the point where he began to sound more like some southern gentleman. When he came home for his dad's funeral, the first person he went to see was his oldest and closest friend, Skeet. And to Yancey's surprise, the first words out of his mouth were slathered with a draw thicker than mama's mashed potatoes and mutton gravy. To thine own self be true, y'all. After stowing his gear in the back and stashing his pistol under the passenger seat, Skeeter bailed in and hollered, What the fuck are we still doing in Lexington by God, Kentucky? Yancey stomped on the throttle and squealed like a pig in heat. When the RPMs came back down, he eased the transmission into drive, and they rolled at a leisurely speed down the driveway. You ever kiss a hog square on the snout? Skeeter asked, still drunk with excitement. No, but I kissed your sister once, Yancey shot back, then braced for a bitch slap. Skeeter looked at him kinda thoughtful-like, then asked, How long did you have to wait in line? Rolling down I-75 with the classic rock cranked to an 11, the power stroke chewed up the miles, and dusk turned to nightfall as they crossed the state line. Skeeter woke with a jolt as his head bounced off the side window. Where the hell are we? He said, straightening up in his seat. Dust rolled past and roiled in the headlights as the truck stopped short of a dilapidated wooden gate in what could barely be described as a road. 
Yancey flicked on the LED lights, instantly burning through the lingering dust to reveal a tattered plywood sign on the gate with the words, Hug a Pig Hunting Lodge, painted in red, and with the D conspicuously missing from lodge. More concerning was the smaller sign that read, Enter at your own risk. Skeeter and Yancey shared a glance. I'm driving, Yancey stated the obvious. Skeeter huffed, knowing he had no argument, then went and opened the gate. It was another three miles of deeply rutted road that cut through the Appalachian Valley. The heavily foliaged cottonwood, walnut, and poplar trees cast a canopy over the trail, blocking out all but glimpses of the stars and crescent moon. Yancey felt a sense of claustrophobia setting in when mercifully the trees tend to reveal a lush open valley, closed in on both sides by steep rolling mountains. A light flickered further down the trail, and after a few more minutes of being bounced around like the right and left nuts on a champion rodeo bull, Skeeter and Yancey found themselves staring at the frontier-style cabin. No fucking way, Skeeter said. Yancey warbled to the tune of dueling banjos. Calling the building a cabin was generous. Most people would probably describe it as more of a shack. The porch roof sagged a good foot in the middle. Tin siding and plywood covered the holes in the roof and walls. And it looked like it was one strong gust of wind away from being kindling. A good-sized barn stood back and off to the south side of the shack leaning against its timbers, and some run-down corrals stood unused to the north. Skeeter was just about to start discussing travel plans when an old man stepped out onto the porch. There's the welcoming committee, Yancey said. The two stared at each other unblinking, hoping the other would lead the way. Yancey finally wavered. Not wanting to keep the old man waiting, he stepped down from the truck. How you doing? He asked, walking up to the rickety porch. Who are you? He got for his trouble. The old man scowled at him more out of one eye than the other. We're looking for the hugger. You found it. The old man interrupted, turning to go back inside. Well, that's a good one, Yancey said, pulling the picture he had printed off and pointed at the pristine lodge. Burned down last week, the old man shouted over his shoulder. Don't let the heat out. Yancey turned back to Skeeter and, using two fingers, made the shape of a gun. Skeeter raised his jacket, revealing the pistol holstered on his belt. The oppressively hot living room was in about the same condition as the outside of the cabin, except instead of plywood and tin covering the holes, animal hides and taxidermied critters covered almost every inch of the walls. There was everything from bobcats and mountain lions to badgers and squirrels. But this asshole's pride and joy had to have been the bald eagle hanging over the mantle. Wings spread, with an arrow sticking out of its chest. The name's Richard, the old man said, sinking into a threadbare recliner. <sighs> Vance Richard. Uh, I'm Yancey, and this is Skeeter. Yancey offered his hand. The old man's gloved hands held firm to the armrests, every second becoming more awkward. Then Skeeter, finally deciding he had seen enough of this shit show, piped up. Look, Vance, you're obviously not set up to gotta hunt here. So me and my amigo are just gonna get back in his truck and get the fuck out of Dodge. That's too bad. <laughs> the old man coughed out a hoarse chuckle. 
<laughs> you city slickers want a fancy place to stay. Go stay at the, well, someplace fancy. But if you want the best hunt y'all ever been on, you're in the right place. <laughs> Doing his best Jack Palance impersonation, Yancey asked, Well, what do you think, city slicker? Skeeter didn't take his eyes off the old man. The old man stared back, his steel gaze never wavering. Skeeter held up a finger. One day, if we're not fucking amazed, we're gone. The old man's sardonic smile was a recipe for nightmares. His few remaining teeth looked more like oddly spaced corn nuts in a cavernous abyss. And those goddamned eyes. It was like having a stare down with the devil himself. Skeeter took comfort knowing his pistol was close by, and he had no less than four knives tucked away just in case the need arose to cut something, or someone. Richard led them down a narrow hall and into a room that barely accommodated the two narrow beds with a nightstand in between. <sighs> My nephews will be here in the morning. They like to head out before daylight, so y'all best be hitting the fart sack. <laughs> Yancey and Skeeter had barely had time to slip their boots off when a low hum that had been barely noticeable became a sputtering prattle, followed by silence. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. The bare bulb that hung by its cord from the ceiling faded to a glowing wire, and then the room went dark. Before sunrise the next morning, the bedroom door burst open and two of the roughest looking hillbillies God ever turned loose on the earth stormed in and were just about to start raising a ruckus when the first one in realized he was staring down the barrel of a very large pistol and behind the pistol was a very pissed off redneck. The second man in, now grasping the situation, smiled dimly. Let me guess. Skeeter drew a bead on the man standing closest. Jethro? Then he took aim at the second man. And Ellie May? The hillbilly stared blankly, dismayed by the reference. Jethro spoke up, eyes still fixed on the gun. Uncle Vance says we can go up and shoot a couple of hogs and bring them back to you, if you need your beauty sleep. The brothers' dim, tentative grins revealed about nine tobacco-stained teeth between the two of them. 
Tell Uncle Vance he can... Tell Vance we'll be there in a minute, Yancey said. That is what you were going to say, right? I was going to ask if either of these rocket surgeons have ever heard of a toothbrush. Skeeter and Yancey followed a sweet, savory aroma to the kitchen, where Vance and his nephew sat scarfing down a mishmash of pig parts like a pack of starving wolves. Vance wiped the grease from his chin onto his gloved hand, and Yancey was suddenly glad they hadn't shaken hands. <sighs> that's Doug, and that's Maynard, Vance pointed. Doug and Maynard kept packing meat into their sass holes like they were terrified they wouldn't get their share. We've already met, Skeeter said, tapping the bulge in his jacket. Just like a parcel of possums in a gunny sack, Yancey smirked. Without the offer of breakfast, not that they would have accepted, they headed out the door. Maynard ran across the porch, but when he got to the edge and was about to leap to the ground, Doug shoved him hard, sending the burly man-child to land on his head and shoulder. He rolled belly up and caught Doug's ankle as he tried to run past and dragged him to the ground. Yancey, Skeeter, and Vance watched him from the porch as the two heathens punched, gouged, kicked, and bit each other like they were acting out a scene from the Atfield and McCoys. These two always fight like this, Yancey asked. Shit, Vance grumbled. This is barely an argument. He strode over and grabbed his nephews by their matted hair and drugged them still kicking and squalling to an SUV that was parked in front of Yancey's truck. I'm driving, one of them hollered. Bullshit, it's my turn. The old man held them apart while they continued kicking and spitting at each other. When a stray gob of spit went in his good eye, the old man's patience vanished. He brought the two together head first for a little family bonding. Ah! And both of them fell to the ground, cradling their dented skulls. Not relishing the idea of being stuck in an enclosed cab with the inbred version of the Three Stooges, Skeeter told Vance they'd follow them in their own vehicle. For whatever reason, this seemed to incense the old man and he took out his anger on the still-dazed nephews, mercilessly backhanded them both until blood ran freely from their battered faces. Then, just as quickly as the beating had begun, it was over. Maynard climbed behind the wheel. Vance took shotgun and Doug bailed in the back seat. Earlier, Skeeter had compared these heathens to a pack of wolves, but now he decided that was a huge insult to the wolves. Yancey caught up to the SUV that flew over more bumps than it hit. Have you noticed anything suspicious about our hosts? Yancey, working hard to keep the truck on the trail, laughed sarcastically. <laughs> you mean, like not having a hunting lodge? Not offering us any meals? Skeet said. Looking like they haven't bathed in the coon's age, and yet being dressed in top-of-the-line hunting clothes? Yancey added. That SUV was beat to shit, but it couldn't have been more than a few years old. And no license plates front or back, Skeeter said. You saw how pissed off Vance got when you said we'd take our truck. So what do you think? Shall we make a run for it? Skeeter pondered the idea. No, these guys have probably got shortcuts all over these mountains. About all we can do is keep an eye on them. Yancey reached under his seat and pulled the 44 Magnum he kept stashed for emergencies. <laughs> it's subtle, <laughs> Skeet laughed. 
The valley ended at a thick tree line, and Skeeter felt that familiar closing-in feeling again. Thick brush scraped along the sides of the truck and branches snapped as the big 4x4 crawled forward. They caught up to the SUV where their guides had parked in a small clearing and were pulling their rifles out of the back. Yancey eased up behind them and put the truck in park. Hunting for wild boars seemed about as important as picking daisies at this point, but he didn't want to raise suspicions. So he climbed down out of the cab and slipped on an orange hunting vest, hoping the hillbilly halfwits wouldn't mistake it for a target. Skeeter pulled the strap of his rifle over his shoulder and followed the wristers to a ridge that looked down on a clearing with no less than a dozen hogs milling around a pile of corn. Suddenly, shots filled the air as a wave of lead zinged past Skeeter's head. After gulping down his heart, he realized he wasn't the target, but damn these assholes could use a hunter's safety course. Doug and Maynard ran to inspect the carnage as if they had done something to be proud of. What the hell was that all about? Skeeter asked. Every bit of that meat is ruined. Vance, reloading his rifle, didn't bother looking at him, but in answer to his question, pointed at his nose. We're getting the scent in the air. Just what are you trying to bring in? You're obviously not hunting hogs here. Now Vance leveled his gaze at him. Maybe you ain't your average city slicker. He turned his head to spit, then wiped the residual sludge from his chin. You'll find out soon enough. Doug was busy strewing chunks of their fresh kill into low-hanging poplar branches while Maynard drug a carcass up a narrow game trail leaving a swath of warm blood behind for man and beast to see and smell. Uh, where's your friend? the old man asked. He's probably off somewhere taking a piss, Skeeter said. Uh, he should stay close from now on. Now that the clearing smelled like a butcher's shop, Vance set his nephews to bringing in firewood. Maynard and Doug took turns chopping and splitting all afternoon until there was at least a cord of wood neatly stacked and a fire blazing in the center of the clearing. Then the nephews brought in and piled armload after armload of green leaves that they stacked alongside the firewood. When Vance was satisfied they had brought enough leaves, they began throwing them on the fire, sending billowing white smoke into the air. One by one, they stood in the smoke, turning and rubbing it into their clothes, all for some reason unknown to Skeeter. It was getting late when Yancey finally strolled into camp. Staying warm, he asked Skeeter, even though the evening was still comfortably warm without the fire. Apparently, we're sending smoke signals to someone in the next county, Skeeter chuckled. Vance, sitting on a stump on the opposite side of the fire, snorted. <laughs> Shitty slickers. He sharpened the double-headed axe that had been used to chop the wood occasionally testing the sharpness of the blades by drawing each edge up his forearm and counting the hairs on the blade. Finally satisfied with the axe's razor-sharp edges, he stood and sank one of the blades into the stump he had been sitting on. He gave a loud, high-pitched whistle that brought Doug and Maynard running. Mm, no more lily-dicking today. These boys are getting antsy. Skeeter and Yancey got to their feet. Let's go find y'all some big boars, Vance said. His <laughs> nephews hooted and ran for the SUV. 
Skeeter and Yancey followed the SUV up mountains, across valleys, through ravines, mile after mile of goat trails, and sometimes no discernible trails at all. At the edge of a cliff where there was no place left to go but down, the nephews clambered out, and for once, being quiet, got on their bellies before approaching the edge of the cliff. Skeeter and Yancey did likewise. Yancey pulled up his rifle and scanned the valley below. There were two separate groups of boars eating piles of corn that had been recently left out. One boar in particular towered over the rest. The predominant tusks rising out of its lower jaw had to be as big as an adult human hand. Yancey slowly pulled the bolt back and fed a shell into the chamber before refocusing on the trophy boar. A slender branch slipped under and began raising his barrel. Annoyed, he looked over his shoulder. The old man tapped a gloved finger to his lip. Then he said in a hushed voice, <sighs> What about your buddy? Yancey looked at Skeeter, who was still surveying the hogs. If we get here early tomorrow, there'll be three biggins. If you shoot that one now, there won't be a hog within fifteen miles of here for a month. Yancey drew up the boar in his scope again and watched it dominate the smaller hogs. He pictured that massive head mounted above his mantle. It wasn't until the valley was completely swallowed by shadows that the group backed away from the ledge. Well, is it worth one more day? Vance asked, already knowing the answer. Yeah, Skeeter said. We'll get what we came for, and then you'll see the back of us. It had been dark for several hours when the trucks pulled up to the cabin. We'll roll out at five. We'll be ready, Skeeter retorted in the same hostile tone. And that was that. No good night, no sweet dreams, no fuck you, even though that's what Skeeter wanted to tell the old bastard more than anything. And he knew the feeling was mutual. Skeeter set the alarm on his phone and Yancey started setting his own alarm. I already set my alarm, Skeeter said. I'm setting mine for 2 a.m., Yancey said. Why so early? I'm going to have a little look around, Yancey whispered. Sounds risky. You want me to come with? No, you can cover me from here. If you see any hillbillies, do that whippoorwill call of yours. It seemed like Yancey had barely closed his eyes when his phone started vibrating. Both men sat up. I couldn't sleep, Skeeter whispered. You remember the signal? Yell shit and run like hell? Of course I remember the signal. Yancey pulled on his boots, then slipped out the window. He crouched down and ran to the barn door. It had a simple drop-down latch with no lock. Maybe these pricks don't have anything to hide after all, he thought. He pulled the door open just enough to slip inside and close it behind them. The barn was pitch black. As bad as Yancey hated to, he slid up the icons on his phone and thumbed the flashlight. He covered the light with the palm of his hand and gradually released just enough light to illuminate a few feet in front of him. And what he saw made no sense. A late model pickup sat covered in dust, appearing to be in pristine condition. It couldn't have been more than five years old. Yancey pointed the arrow beam of light on the silver and blue license plate and read Missouri 19. 
He skirted the truck and found a Jeep decked out with 4x4 accessories. It had an Oklahoma license plate. Two other off-roaders were parked behind the first two with license plates from Arkansas and Illinois. Yancey figured the batteries must be dead judging from the thick layers of dust they'd collected, but he didn't dare open the door and have an alarm go off. He'd seen enough. At the very least, these boys were car thieves, although he had a sneaking suspicion there was a lot more to the story than just a few stolen trucks. He slipped out of the barn and back through the bedroom window, unseen and unheard as far as he could tell. Well, anything? Skeeter asked. Yancey told him about the collection of vehicles. Skeeter shook his head. Let's try to keep that tank of yours out of their collection. They got a few hours of restless sleep, then got up to Skeeter's alarm. Last day, Skeeter said. Thank God they agreed. Again, Vance insisted that they all take one vehicle, and again, Yancey climbed behind the wheel of his own truck. He slid the key into the ignition and gave it a twist, but the engine didn't respond. He tried again, but something was wrong. He pulled the hood release and Skeeter raised the hood and was about to start investigating when Doug started honking the SUV's horn. Vance walked over to Skeeter and said in his least corrosive tone, if we don't get up to the cliffs early, you boys won't get your boars today. Things were beginning to seem more than a little suspicious, like maybe Richards had played this game before. Skeeter thought to himself, If I were a brain-dead hillbilly, how would I disable a vehicle? He laid on his back and slid under the truck. The Richards went silent. Here's your problem, Skeeter said, raising his voice for everyone to hear. The battery cable to the starter is broke. Of course, it had been cut cleanly, but he and Yancey were outnumbered, so he chose his words very carefully. Pass me some tape. Yancey dug through the toolbox and found a roll of electrical tape, and with a half-assed splice in the cable, the truck was running like a top. Vance made a piss-poor attempt to conceal his fury. Stay close, city slickers, he growled. If you get lost, you're on your own. He climbed into the back seat of the SUV. Stick a stick in your ass and light it on fire! Doug hollered, adding a hog call. The SUV shot rooster tails and disappeared in a cloud of dust. Yancey stuck a stick in his ass and lit it on fire, assuming that meant haul ass. His truck shot rooster tails of its own and the race was on. Between bouncing off the ceiling, the dash, and the side windows, Yancey told Skeeter one more piece of good news. The day before, when he slipped off on his own, he found a deadfall right in the middle of a game trail covered with branches and leaves. He had almost fallen into it, which wouldn't have made for a happy ending since there were sharpened stakes pointing up from the bottom. He had found a few boulders and laid them across the path to mark the deadly trap. You know they're gonna try to kill us, right? But why haven't they tried already? Well, they've had plenty of chances. Both men considered. Well, don't let them get the drop on you, Skeet said pensively. Battery cables don't cut themselves. The SUV blew past their campsite from the day before and continued careening up the trail. When the ledge came into sight, Yancey switched off the headlights and stopped short. Armed to the teeth, they walked up to the ledge where Vance and his nephews were waiting, all three of them holding rifles and eyeing Skeeter and Yancey like meat that had gone bad. 
There they are, Vance said, pointing his rifle to the valley below. Take your pick. Yancey looked over the situation. If they went to the cliff's edge, that would leave the hillbillies behind them. Thinking fast, he pulled his pistol and chambered around. Flipping the safety to the firing position, he smiled. Well, you fellas might not know this, but my pal Skeeter here is the three-time Kentucky sharpshooting champion. Skeeter raised an eyebrow. Hell, he even won a gold medal in the Olympics for sharpshooting. It sounded like a complete load of bullshit, but that didn't matter. He wasn't going to play nice and end up with a bullet in his back. Skeet, he said, getting a firm grip on the pistol. Why don't you shoot the two biggest boars down there? Vance started to protest, but Yancey cut him off. Ah, ah, ah. Remember, three-time state champ, Olympic gold medal. Two shots ring out in rapid succession, and Skeeter turned to face the Richards. How much do we owe you? he asked. Now it was the shrewd old devil's turn to think fast. Uh, well, I haven't had a chance to figure it up yet. You boys go get your hogs. Meet us up at the campsite. I'll have your bill all made out. Before Skeeter could tell him to go fuck himself, Vance turned. Maynard, Doug, get in the truck. Obediently, they ran to the SUV and left. What in the hell are we gonna do now? Yancey asked. Skeeter jacked the spent shell out of his rifle. I guess first thing we ought to do is go get those hogs. Yancey watched the cliff and hillside while Skeeter bled out the massive hog and gutted it. Then Skeeter kept watch while Yancey took care of his hog. It took both men to wrestle the enormous hogs into the bed of the truck, so they made quick work of it. After rinsing their hands and knives, they climbed into the truck. Yancey turned the truck around and headed for the camp. I've heard about all this cat and mouse game I can stand, he said. So we pay our fine host, hug it out, and leave. But I'm keeping my pistol pointed at Vance every second. I'll cover the other two, Yancey agreed. It sounded like the perfect plan. When they got to the campsite, a bonfire was blazing and the white smoke billowed high over the trees. Vance sat on the stump writing in a notebook, but there was no sign of either nephew. Shit, Yancey said. They hadn't planned for this. I guess if we keep our guns on Vance, those two assholes won't dare try anything. This was more of a question than a statement. Well, if there's one thing these hillbillies ain't, it's predictable. Skeeter and Yancey bailed out, guns drawn, pointed straight at Vance's head. What's all this? Vance asked. This game of yours is getting old. Just tell me how much we owe you, and we can end this, Yancey said. Vance began to laugh like the devil had just whispered the one about the rabbi, the priest, and the prostitute in his ear. Then his smile turned into a hateful sneer. <laughs> Show yourselves, boys, he yelled, and Doug and Maynard stepped out from behind the trees. The problem was immediately apparent. They stood a good 40 yards away from each other, Maynard aiming his rifle at Skeeter and Doug covering Yancey. <laughs> Looks like we've got a standoff, ladies, Vance growled. Drop those rifles or Uncle Vance gets one right between the eyes, Skeet hollered. 
You ever kill anybody? Skeeter straightened his arm, closed one eye, and looked down the sights at Vance's forehead. Nope, you're gonna be my first. <laughs> Vance laughed that evil maniacal laugh again, and then in a voice cold enough to freeze most men's blood, he said, I'm gonna count to three. If them guns ain't on the ground, my nephews are gonna drop you like you. He thought for a moment. They're gonna blow your asses away. One, Vance shouted. Two. Yancey watched Skeeter ready to follow his lead. Then Skeeter dropped his pistol. Damn, Yancey said and dropped his pistol to the side of Skeeter's. Doug and Maynard came a-running. Doug gathered up the guns, handed one to his uncle, then tucked the other one down the front of his pants. Set the safety on that thing before you blow your damn dick off. Oh yeah, Doug said, fumbling to get the gun out of his pants. Jesus Christ, I swear if your daddy was alive, he'd stuff you in a gunny sack and beat you soft, boy. Doug ducked his head at some painful recollection. Get a rope and tie up our bait. Doug got a long length of red and black cotton rope out of the back of the SUV, most likely one of their previous victims' climbing ropes, and tied Skeeter and Yancey back to back. Vance inspected the knots, then ran his filthy gloved hand over Doug's matted hair. Yeah, good job. <laughs> Doug giggled like an innocent child, then ran to do his next chore. What the hell are you doing this for? Yancey asked. You called us bait, but you've got hog meat hanging in every tree and blood cover in the trails. If you're trying to bring in a bobcat or mountain lion, you don't need us. The old man sat down on a stump and sorted through a pile of branches, finding a straight one that was the right length and thickness. Then he used Skeeter's bowie knife to sharpen one end. Oh, that's a good knife, he said. We know about all the other hunters you sick fuckers brought up here and killed, Yancey said, knowing full well if he pushed the old man too far, that bowie knife might be at his throat. I've seen the trucks in the barn. All I want to know is why. Vance stopped whittling and seemed to be considering whether or not to waste his breath telling a couple of mamby-pamby city slickers what they were about to die for. He hawked up a glob of spit and launched it onto the toe of Yancey's boot, then went back to whittling. When all the best branches were sharpened, Vance yelled at Maynard to come take them, presumably to line the bottom of another deadfall. Having nothing better to do, Vance said to his captive audience, So you want to know what's going on around here, huh? Uh, well, let me tell you, I ain't hunting no bobcat, or puma, or fucking wild boar. Uh, I'm hunting something more deadly than anything else in these mountains. If he was pausing for effect, it was working. What? Yancey finally asked. Uh, I'm a hunting a hog cat. <laughs> Did you say hog cat? Doing his best to suppress a hysterical fit. Go ahead, laugh it up, Packer Neck. The old man stood and stepped closer to the bait. He slipped off his gloves and held his hands close to Skeeter's face, then Yancey's. Mm, take a look. 
The middle finger, ring finger, and pinky were missing from his right hand, and the pointer finger, thumb, and a good portion of hand was missing from his left hand. Scars crisscrossed his hands and ran up his arms. Yancey let out a low whistle. Those look like some nasty hog bites. Vance put his gloves back on his mangled hands, making sure his few remaining digits went in the right holes. Then he swung his hand high in the air and brought down a vicious slap across Yancey's ear. The blow sent an explosion of stars through his brain. Another slap to the back of his head caught Skeeter off guard. He struggled against his bonds, wanting more than anything to get his hands across the old man's throat. Vance raised his hand again, and Skeeter braced himself. Vance lowered his hand and chuckled. <laughs> you ain't got long to live anyway. He went back to his stump and sat down. Since the hog cat got a taste of me, I ain't been able to chum it in with anything but human flesh. He continued like he was telling the story to his grandkids. God forbid there was such hell spawn on Earth. So where is this hog cat? Skeeter asked. Is it invisible? Like the wee leprechauns? Vance stood again. Only this time he took up a thick branch and swung it like a bat, snapping it across the bridge of Skeeter's nose. <laughs> Skeeter blew his nose and a stream of warm blood ran down his face. <laughs> nice one, he said, further enraging the old man. Vance went back to the stump and worked the knife up and down until the stump released its grip, then turned back to Skeeter. Skeeter flashed a red, frothing smile and asked, Hey, Vance, can I tell you something? Vance gnashed his teeth with all the rage of a man driven to insanity. The Angie's List You Know and Trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. If that imaginary hog cat of yours doesn't kill you, I will. Skeeter spat. Uncle Bats, Maynard said, stepping between him and Skeeter. Talk about divine intervention. Listen, Uncle Vance. A few seconds passed. 
and then from what must have been a half mile away, the most bizarre sounding re, for lack of a better word, echoed through the canyon. Vance pushed his nephew aside and closed on Skeeter. He held the long blade to Skeeter's throat and growled. Lucky for you, he only goes after live bait. Come on, boys, it'll be dark soon. With that, he turned and they ran for the cover of the trees. The light faded quickly. Skeeter, you still alive? Yeah, I'm still here. Yancey squirmed a little and then snapped open a lockback knife. Where the hell were you hiding that? Never mind. Just make sure you wash your hands after you touch it. Skeeter laughed, but then had to wonder. The tension on the rope released. Yancey started to stand, but Skeeter stopped him, saying, We've got to wait for nightfall. The dark is the only protection we've got. A much louder re immediately followed by a roar reverberated from all directions. Okay, forget what I just said. Make a break for the truck in three, two, one, go! They clambered to their feet, and even though their legs were stiff from sitting on the hard ground all day, made a pretty quick dash for the truck, Skeeter still untangling himself from the rope. Sudden loud pops came from the truck as holes appeared in the door. Yancey dove to the right and found cover in some tall brush while Skeeter darted to the left and ran a good 20 yards before dropping down into a drawer. Maynard, under orders from his uncle, ran out of the trees and passed the campfire. There was no place for Yancey to go without being exposed, and seconds later, Maynard stood over him, panting and wiping snot on his sleeve. I got him, Uncle Vance! He shouted, looking back to the trees. Yancey bolted toward him, knocking the rifle out of his hands and delivering what should have been a knockout blow to the hillbilly's jaw. Maynard backed away and smiled with gruesome delight as he released a snap on a scabbard and slowly produced a long, a very long survival knife. Yancey fumbled in his back pocket and fished out the lockback knife. He folded open the four-inch blade and Maynard laughed dimly, much like Goliath must have laughed at David when he saw David's pathetic little sling. Maynard swung a lightning quick arc that Yancey barely had time to duck out of the way of. Yancey sidestepped, causing Maynard to circle and close the distance again before swinging another haymaker that Yancey backed away from. Again, Yancey sidestepped, and again Maynard circled. Now he was in position. Yancey leaned forward, offering Maynard an easy target. Maynard grinned naively as though his underdeveloped mind couldn't conceive the concept of life and death. He swung the heavy blade with everything he had. Almost too late, Yancey ducked, feeling the blade give his blonde flat top a trim. This was his one chance. He lunged, driving a shoulder into Maynard's midsection. Then he stood to his full height, raising his burden over his head. He took two quick steps forward, and Pyle drove Maynard down. Ribs and backbone cracked, and a final gurgling breath escaped as Maynard's body relaxed over the axe head that had been lodged in a stump. You son of a bitch! Yancey turned just in time to see the butt of a rifle, then Tweety Birds, then the ground.
He had never been knocked out before, he thought, and now twice in one day. Lucky me. As the cobwebs cleared, he raised his head and focused on the rifle barrel that was pointed between his eyes. You killed my nephew, you son of a bitch. The old man's voice trembled. I'm gonna blow you. Right about then, a low rumble froze the old man. The rifle began to shake. Then, in a panic, he took his aim off Yancey and pointed it in the direction of the ever-intensifying reverberation. The sound became more of a drum roll, kind of like when someone taps all of their fingers on a wooden table as fast as they can. Vance fired into the darkness. The drumming suddenly stopped, not because Vance had gotten off a lucky shot, but because the mystery beast had leapt. Vance's eyes expanded to reflect the sheer terror that enveloped his soul. The beast lowered its head and with a sickening thud collided with the old man, collapsing his chest and sending his broken body flailing in midair a good ten feet before rolling over several times and coming to rest face down in a bed of leaves. Yancey only stood for an instant before a sharp pain in his side dropped him to his knees. Instinctively putting his hand on his side, he felt warm liquid flow over his fingers. Maynard must have slashed me before I body slammed him, Yancey thought. Skeeter had been following a ravine, knowing it wound around and eventually intersected the game trail. Along the way, he found a three-foot branch that wouldn't take much whittling to make a Louisville slugger. He tried to maintain a balance between moving fast and staying quiet and before too long he spotted a rifle barrel pointed in the direction of the campsite from behind the tree. Whoever was holding the gun was hidden from sight, but Skeeter knew it had to be one of the Richards. Doing his best cat impression, he raised the makeshift bat over his head and tiptoed forward. He brought the branch down on the barrel of the gun, driving it into the ground, then raised the branch over his shoulder as he stepped around the tree. Doug stood, shaking the sting out of his hands, and Skeeter swung for the fence, catching Doug on the shoulder and sending him stumbling. Skeeter dropped the branch and picked up the rifle, seeing an image of tying Doug to the tree at gunpoint. Raising the rifle, Skeeter felt the weight shift and the butt twist in his hand as the barrel came away from the stock and fell to the forest floor. He was about to make a comment about his luck in general when he heard a bowie knife that had recently belonged to him being drawn from its sheath. He retreated to the trail and hoofed it. Doug ran after, making up ground with every step. Skeeter kept a keen eye as Doug advanced. Suddenly Skeeter spotted the boulders on the trail and dropped, rolling into a ball. He braced as a foot caught him in the ribs. Doug flipped over the heap that was Skeeter broke through the branches and plummeted into the deadfall. After the dust and debris had settled, an eerie silence ensued, as though the mountains, the forest, and all the living things within breathed a collective sigh of relief at being rid of an unholy blight. Skeeter, holding his ribs with one hand, crawled to the edge of the pit and looked over the precipice. After a few seconds, his eyes adjusted to the near-pitch black of the pit, and he was able to make out the form of the young man who had just tried to kill him, with at least a dozen stakes protruding up through his lifeless body. He looked kind of like he had lost a fight with a porcupine. 
Skeeter quelled the thought. Even after meeting such a violent end, his expression seemed peaceful. Skeeter felt no animosity toward either of the Richards' nephews. In fact, he wondered if he would have turned out any better with an uncle like. It was then that Skeeter remembered Vance and Maynard, and where the hell was Yancey? Well, Yancey was still alive, but his side hurt worse than the time Skeet had told him the one about the rabbi, the priest, and the prostitute. He stared, open-mouthed, at what could only be described as a hog cat. Son of a bitch. The old bastard wasn't lying. By the dying campfire's glow, Yancey could make out a set of tusks, or they might have been teeth, like those of a saber-toothed tiger. The snout was flat like a hog's, but short and split between the nostrils. The massive head and raised hump were pure hog, and probably its most cat-like feature were the massive claws that protruded and retracted into wide padded paws. The final observation Yancey made was that a thick coat of rusty brown fur covered the creature's neck and shoulders, then receded into sparse wiry hairs about its stomach and rump. Yancey's wound sent a sudden twinge up his side, and he gingerly peeled away his dried-on palm, allowing a fresh stream of blood to run down his side. Too late, he realized this was like waving a rare Yancey steak under the hogcat's snout, or nose. Under the hogcat's snows, he decided. The unnatural beast lowered its head at Yancey and sank its claws into the ground when a high-pitched whistle startled the beast and it spun around on all fours to find the source of the sound. Standing on the game trail about 30 yards away, Skeeter twirled the figure eight of a climbing rope. The hogcat watched confusedly following the travel of the rope. Then Skeeter being Skeeter did something only Skeeter would do. Here, kitty, kitty, kitty. The hogcat pawed the ground, then crouched. Oh, shit. Skeeter turned and darted down the trail towards the wash. The hogcat bounded after its new prey, closing considerable distance with every stride. Yancey ran to Vance's prone corpse and bent down to pick up the rifle. His intention was to run after the hogcat, but on standing up and taking a few wavering steps, the forest began spinning like the tassels on a stripper's melon patch. The ground came up to nestle his cheek, and the Tweety Birds went into their song and dance routine again. A black oak tree rose out of the ground alongside the path, and this is where Skeeter decided to make his stand. He dug in his heels and turned to face the charging behemoth. Skeeter shook out what he considered to be a sufficient-sized loop and began twirling it in front of him. He judged the speed of the beast, and as it leapt, he stepped aside, leaving the rope suspended in mid-air by the inertial rotation of the loop, or whatever explanation sizzles your sausage. When the hogcat blurred past, Skeeter prayed to his maker for a little more divine intervention and yanked on the rope. The loop closed around the beast's ribcage. Skeeter let the slack slide through his hand so as not to get drug off his feet. Then, clamping the last foot of the rope between his teeth, he bounded up the tree, finding just enough notches in the bark to climb. He could hear the hogcat leaping and clawing at the tree beneath him. He scurried up the last few feet before reaching the branch that hung over the path. Checking his grip and footholds, he eased out onto the branch. The hogcat backed away from the tree and paced back and forth under him. 
grunting and snarling as if to say stop wasting time and get in my belly. When Skeeter had slid himself out far enough away from the tree that he knew the hogcat couldn't reach it, he threw the slack end of the rope over the branch, took a wrap around his hand, and dropped. As soon as the rope took weight, the hogcat flew into a rage, twisting and writhing like a river trout fighting a taut fishing line. Skeeter's downward slide stopped only a foot under the branch, and his heart sank as the unforeseen snag in his plan became apparent. The hogcat was heavier than he was. Seemingly out of nowhere, Plan B popped into his head. Now, Skeeter wasn't much of an acrobat, but needs must when the devil drives, and this hell-blown monstrosity was driving Skeeter to desperate measures. He swung himself upside down and propped his feet against the underside of the branch. Then, summoning all of his strength, he straightened his body. He groaned, realizing just how heavy the thing was, but needs drive and all that. He took another handhold close to the branch and pulled again. He was sure the beast was no longer standing on the path, but he gave the rope one more heave just to make sure. Then, holding the top rope in one hand, he pulled up the slack from below and pulled through a half hitch and another, and another just to be on the safe side. With his head swimming and the last of his strength waning, he swung away from the wildly thrashing hogcat and kicked away from the branch. His plan was to flip right side up, land on his feet, and roll to absorb the impact, and he almost pulled it off. The only problem was without being able to see the ground in the dark, he over-rotated. Landing on his heels, his tuck and roll became an earth-shaking wallop as he bounced on the hard-packed game trail. He rolled to his knees and tried to inhale, but nothing happened. He tried again to pull air into his lungs, and again his lungs refused to work. Skeeter knew from his early experience of being thrown off bulls that if he passed out, he'd probably start breathing again automatically. The only problem was the thrashing hybrid hanging from a rope ten feet away, and how long could that rope hold it? He tried again. With consciousness slipping away, a slight wheezing breath filled his lungs. He gasped and coughed as the expansion of his chest cavity sent spasms of pain through his body. As bad as the pain was, he needed air to clear his head. Yancey. His best friend's name overwhelmed all other thoughts. Skeeter stood, sending out a guttural growl so primal, even the hogcat stopped its wailing protest. Skeeter breathed quick, shallow breaths that matched his pace running back up the trail. Oh, shit! Was all he could say when he reached Yancey's unmoving body. He knelt and rolled him onto his back. A weak groan emanated from his friend, sending a thrill of hope to combat the overwhelming dread at seeing the glistening knife wound in his side. Skeeter pulled off his favorite western shirt, then his sweat-drenched t-shirt. He pressed a t-shirt against the wound, bringing forth another groan. Sorry, pal, Skeet said. The fun's not over yet. Repositioning himself, he placed his hands under Yancey's shoulders and raised them to a sitting position. Yancey's body shook as Skeeter wrapped his overshirt around Yancey's torso. All done, he said, lowering his old pal to the bed of leaves again. 
He went back to Yancey's side and tied a snug square knot in the sleeve of his shirt. I'll be all right, he said assuringly. He ran to fetch the truck and just as promised was back in two shakes of a lamb's tail. He ran around the truck, opened the passenger's door, and reclined the seat. This might suck a little bit, he said, not knowing for sure if his words were registering. He slid his arms under Yancey's legs and back with another one of those guttural growls that seemed to give him a boost of strength. He forced himself to his feet, and moments later had Yancey resting on the soft leather seat. He backed out of the campsite and just started down the goat trail when he noticed something approaching quickly in his periphery. Before he even had time to turn his head, the hogcat left and impacted the driver's side door with enough force to cave the door panel into the seat, shattering the window and sending a shower of glass over both men. The headlights dimmed as the engine sputtered and died. The savage battering ram shook its enormous head, blew green viscous froth from its nose, and backed away. Come on, dammit, Skeeter said, desperately cranking the ignition switch. But no matter how hard he twisted, the engine wouldn't respond. Yancey raised the leg opposite his lacerated side and stomped a heavy boot on the floorboard. I know, buddy. I'm trying, Skeeter said. Yancey raised his leg and stomped again. This time, the dash lights flickered. Skeeter gaped at Yancey with astonishment. Barely conscious and bleeding like a stuck pig, Yancey had guessed that the jerry-rigged splice in the battery cable had separated enough to lose current. Yancey raised his leg for a third and probably final attempt. Skeet cranked the ignition as the boot came down. A crackling came from under the hood, accompanied by a white puff of smoke as an arc jumped across the gap and welded just enough strands in the cable to turn the engine over. The Hogcat, meanwhile, had backed far enough away to build up maximum speed, and with its sight locked on the two-legged creature that was too stubborn to be killed and eaten, it pounced. Skeeter threw the truck into drive and stomped on the throttle. The truck launched forward, leaving a black cloud to mingle with the dust. The Hogcat plowed into the back panel of the bed, sending it sailing through the air only to land on all fours. The rear wheels had been forced off the trail. Yancey and Skeeter bucked in their seats as Skeeter refused to take his foot off the throttle. He spun the steering wheel one way and then the other, finally regaining control. Watching the hogcat shrink in the mirror, Skeeter tried to think of an appropriate quote from some action movie. Then he smiled and said, That'll do, pig. A pre-dawn orange and blue hue lit the eastern sky as Yancey's demolished truck pulled up in front of the cabin and sputtered to a halt. Skeeter dug his phone out of the center console and unplugged the charger. Come home, baby, he urged as the screen lit up. Yes, two bars. He dialed 911 and was greeted by the voice of an angel. What is your location in emergency? Yancey passed Skeeter the printout and Skeeter read off the directions, also explaining that his friend had been stabbed and was losing blood. I'm requesting medevac, he said, remembering the words from some phony Hollywood blockbuster. He held his breath. Air Med will be dispatched from Newport. Skeeter raised his triumphant fist. 
Now that he had time, he climbed up into the bed of the truck and fished out a few bottles of water from the cooler and a first aid kit from the toolbox. Yancey was barely responsive as Skeeter gave him a few sips of water and redressed the wound. Skeeter went into the cabin and got Yancey's bedroll out of the bedroom. When he stepped off the porch, a distant rumbling sound sent a wave of dread through him. But just before he shifted into survival mode again, the rumble became the familiar chopping sound of helicopter blades. Before Skeeter could say, damn, that was fast, they were loaded into the helicopter and headed for civilization. While they were being held against their will in the hospital, a couple of FBI suits showed up waving badges like they had just won them out of a claw machine. Apparently, some bones had been found and DNA matching was being done. There was a substantial reward for any information about the missing hunters, and after talking it over, Skeeter and Yancey decided the families could probably use the money for funeral expenses and whatnot. Then came the philosophical debate about where the hell a hogcat could have come from. Skeeter explained to Yancey that when a tomcat and a sow pig fall in love, Not one chance in a billion, Yancey said. DNA strands between species don't match. Well, let's hear your theory then, college boy, Skeet blustered. The government must have had a secret lab hidden somewhere in the Appalachian Mountains. The thing was supposed to be a big surprise for the Russians. I vote for outer space, Skeet said. No way that thing was a local boy. And so on. After two weeks, Skeeter was sent home, and a few days later, Yancey got brought home and dumped in a bed under strict orders to stay there for a week. Skeeter stood on the front porch and leaned through the bedroom window. Tannehill, get your ass out of that bed! The blanket stirred, and Yancey slid himself up to rest against the headboard. Let's go, city slicker! We got chores to do! Yancey gulped down the chuckle when he saw the purple rings around Skeeter's eyes and a plastic nose brace that didn't complement the look. The bedroom door swung open, and Yancey's home healthcare nurse came in carrying a pink pail. Emily Pearson, what in the name of all that's holy are you doing in Yancey's bedroom? Isn't it obvious? She said with a mostly professional smile as she raised a yellow sponge out of the steaming pail of water and wrung it out. Emily had been one of the few girls in their class who could have given the homecoming queen a run for her money if she gave a shit about that sort of thing. But Emily was a redneck country girl through and through, and here she was after all these years in Yancey's bedroom, giving him a sponge bath no less. Lucky bastard. Bolin, she said, still sporting the smile. In about two seconds, you're going to see more of your buddy than you ever wanted to and she yanked the blanket down. Of course, Yancey, being the gentleman that he was, had on a pair of purple gym shorts with silver racing stripes down the sides. Not that it mattered to Skeeter. He was already halfway across the porch. He held his ribs and eased down on his favorite rocking chair. Then, reaching into the pocket of his second favorite western shirt, pulled out a handful of peas and began shelling them. The peas were in his mouth while the pods were set on the handrail for Lucy Bell to nibble on. Skeeter took in as deep a breath as his ribs would allow that kind of smelled like sheep shit and thought, Life ain't bad.
And that was The Call of the Tennessee Hogcat by author Lynn Jenkins. A good reminder to check Yelp first next time you visit some hunting lodge. Man, leave it to a couple of city slickers like Skeeter and Yancey to get themselves into trouble. I sure hope to hear from them again. A big thank you to Lynn Jenkins. Hell of a story, Lynn. A little about the author. Lynn Jenkins is a retired oil field hand from Vernal, Utah. He wrote this story as a way of honoring his older brother Jim, who was called back to his maker far too soon. Those lucky enough to have known Jim might recognize the resemblance to Skeeter Bolin, and that's because he's loosely based on Jim, so you can imagine the wild-ass adventures they had. You can find Lynn's books on Amazon Books, Google Play Books, and Apple Books. He thanks you for your support. Hit up gbooks.biz this week for a direct link to the Kindle. Glad to have you on the show, Lynn. Hey, do me a favor, would you? Subscribe to this podcast wherever you do your listening, and leave me a five-star review and maybe a kind word there, even if you're listening on YouTube. I need soldiers on all fronts to win this battle, and I appreciate it. To hear a premium ad-free edition of tonight's and all our other episodes, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of your screen. You'll find yourself at chillintalesfordarknights.com, where you can become a patron for as little as $5 per month and get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012, including past episodes of this program, all our other shows, and hundreds of standalone releases, all of them ad-free and available to download or stream. Thank you for your time and for supporting our sponsors. When you support our sponsors, you support this show. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chillin' Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all our latest updates and new releases, and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You'll find me personally on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Stop on by, would you? Don't forget those submissions. If you've got a story or two you'd like to be featured on this show, send it to drewbloodhorror at gmail.com. If selected, you'll get the full treatment. Well, I'm afraid this is where we part ways. At least till next week. So grab a drink for the road, friend. But mind the wildlife out there. I haven't seen a hog cat yet, but I did catch Chester on top of a feral hog a few weeks ago. This whole place could end up like a sci-fi channel movie. I'd like to recognize a couple more fans of the show. Jeremy Shackelford, Chris Carter, Daniel Fry, and last but certainly not least, a little pup named Lily. I appreciate all the comments and support, y'all. So here we go. Jeremy Shackelford, Chris Carter, Daniel Fry and Little Puppy Lily. May the wind be at your back, and may the road rise up to meet you. Remember, life ain't bad. Just go fuck yourselves. (laughs) Good night, y'all.
Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs, or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.